Doing everything you can to stay healthy is so important, but even more so when a virus is going around. Join us on today's Conversations with Clint as we talk with Dr. Andy Sayer, a retired ER physician right here in the 68th District. Thank you, Dr. Sayer, for your faithful service for, man, a ton of years right here in this community. And folks, don't worry. We are posting the video as well, but we have been social distancing, and we have these fancy pop filters uh so no uh, snarky remarks needed uh we've been taking all we're six feet this is a six foot picnic table so we're six feet apart so and we're outdoors clint yes I mean, come on we're not in some stuffy office somewhere yeah. we talked about doing this right on main street but with all the cars it yeah. probably would have been that wouldn't have gone so well nah. so this is this is the next best thing this is my back porch everybody so in case you're wondering um, but Andy is a great friend. Um, we we spent two weeks together in Guatemala two years ago um, at an orphanage, and um, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Are you up for that? I'm up for anything, Clint. I'd rather go hiking on a day like today than be talking with you, but this is the next best thing. So. <laughs> but there's thunderstorms coming. That's true. So let's do it now. Yes, let's get this over with. Now, Andy and I agree on pretty much everything in life except... There are a few exceptions. Number one, we were talking about this, snakes. Andy likes snakes. I'm not so much of a snake fan. Coffee. I love coffee. Andy, like, despises coffee. Dogs. I love dogs. Andy, what's what's the deal with dogs? Uh, The deal with dogs is I worked in an emergency room for so many years and saw so many dog bites. (laughs) Now you're freaking people out. I'm sick of dogs. Yes. So dogs. And there was one other. Horses. Horses. <laughs> well, no, I think we agree on that. Okay. I wrote coffee twice. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. There was one other thing. I don't remember what it was. Oh, well. Mm. But um, let's let's jump right into it, um, Andy. And I really appreciate you taking the time. You've been uh, serving here for for a lot of years. What was it? Thirty seven years. Yes, thirty seven. Uh, you know, I got thinking about this, Clint. Between Doctor Shaw and Doctor Wong and myself, we have over a hundred years of emergency room service in the same hospital. That has to be some kind of record. Wow. Yeah, the turnover time, turnover rate is huge among emergency room doctors. So uh, I think I mentioned to you that last year the American Academy of Emergency Room Physicians gave away an award for the guy who stayed in this one hospital for the most amount of years. And it was 30. And I got 37, and Dr. Shaw has almost as many, and so does Dr. Wong. So... So you're like jumping up on your chair saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. where are we in this voting? Right. <laughs> well, you have, you have seen so much, you know, come through the, the hospital doors. And mm-hmm. I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about, we're, we're not going to really go down the, the road of, you know, what's currently going on in our area with COVID because obviously you're, you're retired. You've been enjoying uh, being at home. You're gardening and everything at the house. But, um, and so we're not going to get into that a ton, but I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about um, really staying healthy. We have learned uh, that this virus um, tends to, is looking like it's very contagious com- compared to other viruses. Um, however, making sure that we have a rock-solid immune system is so important anyways, mm-hmm. but it's even more critical right now. Um, talk a little bit about what... Um, 
what it takes and why it's so important to build um, a good immune system in the midst of a, a pandemic. Yeah, Clint, this is a huge hot button issue. It, it always has, but but especially now in light of uh, this uh, pandemic that we're in the middle of. One thing I've learned, and I'm not a I'm not a immunologist, somebody who specializes in immunology, but. Uh, the immune system in the human being is incredibly complex. Uh, the Bible is right when it talks about that we are wonderfully made. This is amazingly complex, uh, so much so that we're learning constantly. It makes doing research on your immune system almost impossible. There's so many interrelated and integral factors that go into your immune system that how do you do a study? How do you control one kind of cell over another and the influences and the chemical reactions and it's just amazing. So I think that when we talk about how to boost your immune system, you're going to get as many opinions as you have people. <laughs> and um, you well, Opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got two of them. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot more than two. So, well, listen, look at, look at, Look at your tel- television ads. I mean, yeah. everybody's got some chemical, some um, uh, some little micro element that if you take enough of, it'll make you so healthy, you'll have biceps that are bulging, and your love life will just blossom. <laughs> they, they, they all do all these multiple things, and, and none of them really have been proven to be effective. So you just kind of got to go with what you know. Here's what I know. I know that the immune system is complex. I know that uh, that within our bodies is both an innate immunity, meaning you have it from the time you're born. A child is born with an immune system. He collects extra antibodies from his mother, uh, especially if she's breastfeeding. And as you age, you acquire new immunity. You learn new immunity as you're exposed to bacteria and viruses and parasites and fungus. You develop new immune systems, uh, heightened immune systems, so that you can handle these pathogens as they come your way. All that is dependent upon uh, healthy organs, healthy organs like your your bone marrow, your spleen, your tonsils, your adenoids, collections of uh, lymphoid tissue in your bowels called pyre patches, your thymus gland that sits behind your breastbone and and primes your T-cells to know how to manage. It's actually a learning center so that you know how to fight against these things. Um, there's just so many organs that are uh, essential to that. You start out with your skin, right? Which is one of the reasons that we advise people to wash their hands, keep the pathogens off of their skin. Your skin, your mucous membranes, all these are frontline defenses against uh, pathogens that come your way, including the COVID virus. But then you get into uh, individual cells, you know, your uh, all your... Uh, white blood cells that are manufactured in your bone marrow. You know, again, this is uh, so complex it would be impossible to cover in a brief time. But you got basophils and eosinophils and and um, all all kinds of germ fighting 
cells. You've got mast cells and a, a complement system of 30 proteins that is uh, stacked and ready to go on the, when it's needed. Within your lymphocytes, you have T cells and B cells and killer cells that basically eat bacteria and viruses. Uh, you've got memory cells that say, hey, I recognize this thing. It's come down the pike before. I'm going to go after it, you know? Wow. Uh, it's, we're very complex. Oh, man. We are really complex. So so that's our immune system. But one thing that we've we've talked a lot, so I never heard the word comorbidity. Co, no, I get this right. Comorbidities, right? Yes. <laughs> um, we've never, I've never heard that until this whole virus broke out. And now all of a sudden that's like the yeah. word. Like yeah. everybody's using it. And explain to folks what exactly that is and why we're, why we're all using that word and why it's so important right now. Yeah, well, that's a great question. Uh, so morbid is something that isn't good, okay? Right. That's deadly. So something that is comorbid is something that contributes to a death rate, something that would contribute to the morbidity and mortality of, of this virus. So comorbid... Uh, comorbidities fall into various areas and we're still learning about this. One thing if I had to emphasize anything above all else when it comes to COVID is that we are in the middle of a giant experiment here in the United States. We don't really know fully everything that there is to know. We know very little in fact about uh, about testing and the results of these testing and how to go forward and what drugs work, which ones don't, why they work, why they don't work, how your immune system is compromised by this thing. There's just a lot of things we don't know. And what we're learning is that there seems to be, based on research that we have from those who have died, and unfortunately a lot of the information is coming from China, which could be speculative in its accurateness, uh, but we know that people who have diabetes and elevated blood sugars uh, tend to get sicker mortality rate is higher. Obesity, not sure why, maybe it's the added body mass and the distribution of your immune system over a larger surface area. Um, age, of course, is a big one. Most of the mortality occurs in your older population. Well, we're going to talk, I wanted to, let's dive a little deeper into that because that's, that's another question I had. Mm -hmm. So we see, we see this hitting nursing homes and the elderly so much mm -hmm. harder um, right now, and some of that I mean, we could get into the the policy side of that, which we we won't we don't need to go down that road today. But but what? And but then you see a very little impact, you know, amongst kids. So, is that normal or consistent with a typical virus or a flu season? I mean, it seems like you probably, when in a normal flu season, that the the average person coming through the ER would have been somebody that was older, had comorbidities, you know, mm -hmm. typically. So, what's what's the story with that? Like, why why does it seem to attack older senior saints versus kids? Yeah, well. Again, great question, and one that has uh, uh, one that is requiring still a lot of research. We know that among the comorbidities, you know, coronary artery disease is higher uh, with the elderly. Chronic lung disease, the nature of it is being chronic means that you're going to be more likely to have it when you're older. Uh, diabetes, obesity, hypertension—all these comorbidities are more common in an older population. But beyond that. We're finding that COVID is particularly cruel to the older population. Uh, younger children get it. We're learning that now. Uh, but 
the older population uh, is destined to difficulty because cells have a lifespan just like everything living has a lifespan there's an end point and sooner or later we all get to it I mean being human means that there's a hundred percent mortality rate just by virtue of the fact that we age and we die and so do your cells so picture now all the complexities of an immune system there's a date of death for every single cell every single organ it's complex again at the end of a DNA at the end of a chromosome or is there a section called a telomere and every time DNA divides another piece of the telomere the endpoint of that DNA is nipped off eventually when the telomere is gone the DNA can no longer uh, reproduce so your chromosomes are doomed to die your immune cells die so the elderly die quicker because their immune system is aging and dying so another word that has been thrown out that we I mean we probably would have used it a little bit but the average, you know, folks here in the 68th or across the Commonwealth, antibodies. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about that before COVID. I mean, we just kind of, mm-hmm. but what, what exactly is an antibody? How is it created? Why is that so important? And then maybe we'll touch on the testing and, and, and how, how we can figure out who, who has the, the right. antibodies. Well, you can't talk about an antibody unless you talk about an antigen. An antigen is anything that enters your body that is a foreign body. Okay. Uh, well, that's an antigen. I, that's a new one. Yeah. Nobody's, I've never heard that. So <laughs> what fights against antigens? Antibodies. Okay, here is a body that does not belong in your human body. In a perfect state, it wouldn't be there. So you have an antigen that goes against the antibody, or excuse me, the antibody goes against the antigen. So along comes this COVID virus. It attacks the cell. It, it actually attaches to the cell, okay? Antibodies, hopefully, would recognize this as a foreign body and attack it. Again, it's a complex immune reaction to an antigen. And the antibody response in children is healthier than it is in the elderly population. Frankly, again, they don't have the same immune system, the healthy immune system that a child has. While we're talking about children, though, you know, when we first started learning about this, we were told that children are pretty much spared. And largely they are but not entirely right one of the things that we're discovering is a syndrome called PMIS stands for pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome PMIS is kind of like Kawasaki's disease it's again it's a rare disease it's an inflammatory disease Um, children get sustained high fevers of 100 and 304 for four to five days Uh, they get rashes all over their trunkal rashes extremity rashes Uh, their lips get cracked they get conjunctivitis bloodshot eyes Um, abdominal pain with vomiting and diarrhea all these things happen to these uh, children Fortunately, it's pretty rare. There's been maybe a couple hundred cases described uh, in the in the country so far. Is this the tip of the iceberg? 
Is this something that we'll see that's going to have a major effect on opening schools or not? I don't know the answer to that. Nobody does. We just know that children tend not to get COVID. And when they do, most of them just blow it off. They do fine. But then there's a certain subset of kids that get really, really sick. We're hoping that this is not something that is going to manifest itself in a greater way. So let's talk about the the antibodies a little bit more. So we have, now we have the ability to test whether somebody has the antibodies. What does that tell us about that person um, that has, that, that gets that test? They have the the antibodies show up. What does that tell us um, about them? Yeah. Uh, again, I'm no immunologist, so uh, I would be careful to go into too much detail about uh, uh, the testing that's going on. I do know that what testing is available, uh, there is a certain group of people that are being tested positive but aren't really, have really never been exposed to it. And vice versa, there are some people that are testing negative to antibody tests. In other words, do we have these uh, cells in our body that demonstrate that we've been exposed to this antigen called COVID? That, that, that they were present to attack the virus. That, yes. That, that they were developed and they've attacked the virus and they beat the sucker. That's what an antibody that's, is. Yeah. And so that's what we know. Yeah. But, 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 but we don't know. Well, yeah. What we don't know, Clint, is that how many people are testing negative but actually are really have really got the antibody. There's just a lot of things we don't know. The tests are multiple. They're starting to screen them for their accuracy. Uh, so um, uh, we're still in the learning phase. And then when we get it all back, what does it mean? Right. I mean, if we find a lot of people have been exposed because, and they have antibodies, does that mean that we can start to relax standards? Is it no more dangerous than the flu? Has this all been overblown? Or, in fact, is this the tip of a bad iceberg that we're about to see. A lot we don't know, Clint. <laughs> and you don't want to venture off into that? You can't. You <laughs> yeah, can't. Right, Anybody you that predicts is being foolish. Yeah. You cannot tell what's coming. So folks that would listen to this, probably they may be taking a step back and saying, wow, I need to be scared or I need to be fearful. Mm-hmm. Um what would you what would you say, you know, to, to folks that are that and we didn't have this in our our prearranged conversation notes, <laughs> um, but what what would you say to somebody that that might be listening to this and and, and is finding themselves fearful mm-hmm. of this virus and um, really crippled by that? Yeah. Um, just curious. Well, you know, you tend to fear what you don't understand, and um, there's much that we don't understand about this. So naturally, I can see how fear could be ramped up. But realistic fear is something that is truly a threat. And since we don't know, we don't know specifically how much of a threat this is when we start to open up our states, it seems premature to get your knickers in a knot over something that uh, we, we don't have proof is going to be anything that could be worse than just the average flu. You know, we talk a lot about the flu and we compare this COVID virus to the flu. COVID is a reportable disease. The flu is not. So when we say that we have 30,000 to 60,000 people die a year of the flu, we don't really know how many people die of the flu because we don't have to report it. Right. And we don't check everybody that dies in a nursing home to see if they've had some complication of the flu or it's just a comorbid thing, right? So here we are trying to say, well, it's less 
infective, less has a lower mortality than the flu, or excuse me, than COVID. But we don't really know, do we? And so much of the debate is centering on, uh, you know, things that we don't really know yet. Right. Uh, I'm not big into fearing things that aren't a, a documented uh, kind of problem. I just think that 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 actually makes you sicker. Right. We know that thinking wrong can make you sicker. Right. And that's that's one thing that that I wanted to talk about is is you you, feel, you see people that are just they've locked themselves up and they're just they're really bound by this fear. Yeah. And that really can yeah. influence how and, and affect how how they're going to go through this. Yeah, that's so true, Clint. Uh, 95% of hospital, excuse me, uh, office visits with doctors have as one of the comorbidities stress. Right. What can be more stressful than thinking that there's some virus blowing in your window and about to land on your eyeball and infect you and cause a terrible death? I mean, that's stressful. But it's not realistic, okay? So much of our stress is not realistic, and we, we, actually, uh, we actually probably damage our immune system by allowing stress to wreak havoc on our, uh, on our immune system. We know that there's things called catecholamines. This would be your, your adrenalines and your epinephrines and all these things that are great when you're running the ball for a touchdown or when you're on the starting line before the gun goes off in a track meet. But catecholamines can prompt what we call another chemical in your body called cytokines. Cytokines are molecules that attack uh, viruses and any cells that are infected with them. Unfortunately, they can also attack normal tissue. So when you get stressed and your cytokines level increase, you actually begin to hurt yourself and harm yourself. You're attacking, attacking healthy cells in doing so. So stress plays a huge role in disease. So for that reason alone, we ought to think of ways to lower stress. Well, that is so interesting. And we may be jumping off into the deep end here, but... So when you have everybody stand up and say the novel COVID-19 coronavirus and like this whole like, I don't want to say fear factor that goes with it, is that, is it possible that that's contributing to, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's so obvious that people are more stressed than they ever have been. Yeah. Yeah. So that would, you're saying that that would potentially have, is, is lowering people's immune Mm -hmm. system and thus making them more susceptible possibly to the COVID virus. I think so. I think so only because we know that people who uh, look at look at people's hair color who start at year number one of their presidency and four to eight years later. <laughs> or, their, or their state rep. Yeah. My hair is all, it's like this get this gray spot right here. You're right. Like, look like you in a few years. Stress <laughs> ages people. I'm telling you, stress yeah. ages people. How much of it is, uh, is an integral part of being sensitive and the infectivity or the communicability of COVID? We don't know. Yeah. That's my point. But we know that being stressed is not is not going to help. No. Right. So, folks, if you're listening, if you're watching, please don't let this this yeah. stress you out. Amen. You know, and and if if as the officials talk about it in a ways that that seem fearful, because that's what seems to me what happens. Um, and I'm we're trying not to do that. We're trying to just be factual about it. Mm-hmm. You know, not trying to make light of it, but we're also trying to not make it 
right. into a way that that's going to cause people to fear and stress because we understand that that we are not we are not made to be stressing and fearful people. Yeah. And so we we want to we have to make sure that that stays away from us. So, Andy, in closing, any uh, any closing thoughts on uh, the COVID nineteen? Well. Uh, <laughs> I could probably go on for an hour about this. I'm a fairly simple thinker. You remember what Bill O'Reilly used to say, I'm just a simple man, you know. Well, I'm a simple thinker, and I think that there's probably four things that you can do that are important. One, we ought to think right. We just talked about this. If you have family members and friends or even pets that you can shower with your love and attention, you ought to do that. That's a healthy thing for your mind to focus on. Give of yourself. When you're doing that, you're not thinking about your health all the time and thinking about yourself and worrying about the future. We ought to eat right. Uh, again, this is a, a big hot button issue, but again, being a simple, a simple thinker, it's as simple as this. Um, eat a balanced meal. God gave us food groups. Let's eat them all. Try to make your plate colorful. The more reds and greens and yellows and browns that you can put on your plate, you're getting a lot of micronutrients, things that we don't know for sure, but probably are good for you. Um, So eating right. Uh, Sleeping right is a good thing to do. Get in a routine. Uh, Don't be stressing and staying up all night watching news broadcast and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't change it anyway. So get a good night's sleep. Uh, And finally, we ought to exercise right. Uh, Health uh, is so important in the area of exercise. We ought to sweat. Let me just tell you that sweating means that you're running a fever. Okay? Fevers are good in a way. If you think about it, when you get sick, you run a fever. It's kind of a God-given way of making an environment so that these pathogens can't live happily ever after. So when you exercise and you sweat, you're basically running a little fever. I remember one of my kids did a science project, and after we got done doing heavy exercise, running hard, we would take our temperature. Sometimes they would be as high as 102 degrees. So the point is that exercise is good. It creates an environment that's not healthy for uh, viral particles, and it's just good all around. It makes for uh, a good defense mechanism against us. So think right, eat right, sleep right, exercise right. There, it's simple. Maybe we'll just cut that and put that at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, thank you for taking some time here uh, to to talk and and share some really great, valuable information. Hopefully folks out there have found this helpful. Um, Dr. Andy has has been so faithfully serving here, and we want to thank you again for that. So that's it. That's all we have for today. Join us again next time for another Conversations with Clint.